I'm trying to get harder and tougher mentally and physically every day of my life. You're either the growth mindset or you're the fixed mindset. If you're trying to be the best, you need to look at who the best is and see what they do. Relentless pursuit of progress. There's a difference between the best and the rest. And the rest. Welcome to the Michael Katz Podcast. Champions are built in the morning first. Where we interview scientists, world champions, doctors and experts, in just about every area of health and fitness. What do you care enough about? What are you fascinated enough about to go so deep and learn so much that you'll know more about it than anyone else? And now, here's your host, Michael Cashew. Hey, before we get the show started, I want to let you know about a new project I'm working on called Soul Searching Adventures. It's wilderness survival training plus personal development work plus epic outdoor trips for men. The first step of my recovery from drug addiction was a wilderness therapy program. I lived in the desert for over nine weeks. Now, 13 years later, I'm coming full circle and sharing similar experiences with men that want to take one or more areas of their life to the next level. These trips are designed to push you way outside of your comfort zone, both physically and emotionally. And after interviewing dozens of men, it's crystal clear to me that guys are craving feeling more capable and competent in nature and outdoors. They want to know themselves more deeply. They want to form deep, meaningful relationships. If you want to connect more deeply with your mission and your purpose in life, then these trips are for you. If you want more clarity about the right next step for you in your relationship or career, this is for you. If you want to be challenged in every way possible for yourself, I'd love to have you. And you can apply for the next trip at soulsearchingadventures.com. You don't need to have any outdoor experience whatsoever. You simply need an open mind. Head to soulsearchingadventures.com for more info and apply now. Let's get this show started. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is Michael Cashew, and today I'm interviewing Elliot Rowe. Elliot is the mindset coach to some of the world's top performers, from Olympians to professional athletes to world tour poker players to CEOs of large companies. And the way that he coaches them is through hypnosis. On this show, we start out talking about how he got into this and how a single session of hypnosis cured a lifelong phobia and fear of flying. We talk a lot about the myths about hypnosis, all of the ins and outs around how it works. And what I got out of this show was a deeper understanding of how our self-limiting beliefs actually get created, the things that are holding us back that are usually subconscious, how they're created and how we can learn to release them, whether that's through hypnosis or just focusing on getting in touch with some early childhood experiences. This was a super fun episode and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. So please help me welcome Elliot Rowe. Hey, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here with you, man. So let's start out. I would love to hear you tell the story of how you got into this because it's such a fascinating beginning to this interview. Oh, thank you. Um, so, I mean, I was I was working in uh, investments and property uh, back in the 2000s, and I had a very significant fear of flying. So through my childhood, 
effectively I, I would fly short haul flights, but I would spend the weeks before the holiday worrying. And what's a short haul flight for? Oh, okay. So, Americans? so, um, sh- you know, so one? like over to Europe. So like I'd fly to Spain or something like that, but I, I wouldn't be comfortable taking a trip to America. Some, you know, so, so the short, you know, three hour stopovers, those sorts of things. Um, so I'd do that and just feel incredibly uncomfortable. And what, what, can you tell me a little bit about what that sounded like in your head and what kind of like what that caused? I, I think at sort of an emotional level, I truly felt there was a decent chance I would die every time I got on a plane. So I would have an adrenaline rush that anyone in a life or death situation has, Mm -hmm. and I would feel extraordinarily uncomfortable. And it would be, you know, with anyone who has any kind of phobia, it would be the dominant thought of my mind for that period of time. And then, you know, for the the entire vacation, I'd be in the same sort of situation. So I'd be on a beach and I'd be thinking about the plane ride home. I'd have an awful plane ride home and then I'd feel relief that I wouldn't be going on vacation again for a while. (laughs) That was was sort of how things were until my mid-20s. Someone recommended a hypnotherapist to me and I was skeptical as I think everyone is. Went to see a hypnotherapist and as she sort of got me into this very deep meditative state, it's not like... It's not like stage hypnotherapy or what you might see on TV. Picture guided meditation and then talking within a guided meditation. She got me to bring those thoughts and feelings up. So, you know, this this pressure that I was feeling when I was set up on a plane and then connect it back to memories in my past that made me feel the same way. And I had a couple of memories of just turbulence on a plane show up. And then I had a memory of being very young, being shown a picture of a small plane at my grandfather's house and being told, the plane crashed and killed his business partner. So she reframed that, she worked through it. But what was interesting to me is it wasn't a memory I was consciously aware of. And I felt completely different after that had been sort of exposed and released. Went and spoke to my mom and she said, yes, that's a real thing that did actually happen. So that was one thing that was really interesting, sort of a repressed or forgotten memory uh, was real. And then the other thing that was interesting is I wasn't scared of flying anymore. So, you know, immediately, um, yeah, basically just from one session. And that's not always the case with hypnotherapy. Usually it takes a number of sessions, but I do actually find when someone's phobia is really strong, the subconscious really knows where it's coming from because it is really, it's holding on too tight. Can you repeat that? So, so when the phobias are really strong, your subconscious is, is aware of why it's creating that response. Got it. So the stronger the emotion, typically the faster the fix, mm. as strange as that might sound. So I was no longer scared of flying. I was then really interested in hypnotherapy uh, because I was like, wow, this is magic. <laughs> I can change lives. So from that, I went and found a comprehensive course, got trained as a hypnotherapist, thinking, to be honest, I would be helping friends and family out. Mm. And I was just learning something interesting. And from there, it, um, it turned into a career where I started working with high performers in different areas, just with a series of good luck and people having good results and my name getting spread. So that's sort of been the, the last decade of my life. That's so fascinating, man. So I want to use your personal story to dive into some of the dynamics about mm. how this works. Yeah. Uh, but I, first, I want to share something with you. As you, were, as you were telling your story, I had goosebumps because... I can so relate to the feelings that you were expressing in relation to uh, public speaking. Hmm. Uh, I had a panic attack public speaking uh, 
six or seven years ago. And for the next four or five years, every time I would think about a presentation of really any size whatsoever, I had all of the things that you expressed. Adrenaline rush, I dreaded it for Mm. oftentimes months leading up to it. I would get to it. I would usually feel like I performed like okay or poorly. And then I would think, thank God that's done. It's over now. I do not want to do that anytime soon. Hmm. And what has started to shake that loose for me and, and started to allow me to rewrite that story that I have about me in public speaking has been, I'm not sure if it's hip, hypnotism, but it, it was something very similar. So yeah, man, thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, it's I enjoy sharing it because I think it it provides some context, and, and it starts the discussion of you are not your issues. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think this is sort of the key thing in in what I try and teach clients is this idea that if you're really angry, you've learned to be angry. If you're really anxious, you've learned to be anxious, and they're things that you can unlearn. And you know, I felt that I had an innate fear of flying and fear that was just me. And from this, I learned that, no, it was my subconscious believing it was protecting me from something that had killed a friend of our family. Mm -hmm. And when you start reframing everything as, oh, you know, this is just a learned behavior. I learned incorrectly. Then suddenly everything changes in terms of your potential. And there are often things that we learned at such an early age or so long ago that we don't even think to challenge them. We just think they are part of who we are. Exactly. And most of this comes in our formative years. So typically the memories will be going back to before the age of 10. And from an evolutionary perspective, it all makes sense because, you know, you're in the jungle with your mom and she screams because there's a lion. You don't know to be scared of lions until someone in a position of power has told you that they're dangerous, usually by that sort of response. So it's a very useful evolutionary tool for us to be able to pick up fears and phobias it's just a little bit outdated for the modern world. And, you know, we're fortunate that for whatever reason, by using techniques such as hypnotherapy and some other techniques as well, we can sort of go back and change the programs so that the, the issue doesn't keep presenting itself. Rewrite the software. Exactly. So you have a lifelong fear of flying. You cure it essentially in one session. Mm. Tell me what that was like for you at the time. Like how excited were you? What was going on in your head when that happened? Um, I, I, I guess excited, but more, more amused that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more a case of, oh, I was really skeptical. Um, and suddenly I feel different. This is bizarre. And then I think it was probably the next time I took a flight. So I felt like something had shifted and it changed. Mm. But it was booking the next flight, and I don't know, with anyone who has a phobia, a bit like if you'd been booked for a public speaking event, that's when the fear starts, is is when the booking happens. You know, and booking a flight and not having the fear response is a big deal, and then, you know, you're testing it, you get on the plane, and oh, it feels okay, and then I felt very free, um, <coughs> very free of that issue from that point moving forward. Um, so, so excited, but as I say, probably to some extent amused and just interested that this is how our brain software works mm-hmm. and that for some reason there's a way of hacking into it. So tell me about your skepticism a little bit because I'm assuming someone listening to this episode probably has some conception of what they think hypnotism is and I think they're 
there are probably a lot of myths about mm-hmm. this model of self-development, this tool. So t- yeah, talk about your yeah. skepticism and then what it was actually like. So, so I think everyone has seen um, the shows on our school stage or the, the concept of hypnosis on television as if the hypnotist is all powerful and he can tell you to do X or Y and, and you're going to do it. Um, the way that it's different, first off, you know, they, they are like magic shows. So, you know, there are a small number of people who are very susceptible and there's an awful lot of social pressure that creates those shows. And, you know, they can be entertaining and it looks good. But what can't be done is you can't say to the, you can't pick a random person and it definitely work on them. That's, that's not how this works. So, and what do you mean it? What do you mean it? You can't pick a, a random person and it work. So the idea that you could go into a crowd. So with the, the stage hypnosis, typically the show will start by telling everyone their hands are stuck together. And 95% of the people, their hands won't be stuck together. But there'll be 5% who say their hands are stuck together. They're the people who are going to end up on the stage. Right. What I'm saying is there's going to be 95% who say, actually, my hands aren't stuck together. So, you know, a lot of it's audience participant selection, etc. Is another Um, word for that suggestibility? Yeah, it's suggestibility. So everyone's somewhere on that gradient. But then again, there's social pressure. There's people who sort of are secret extroverts. And this is a wonderful opportunity to be the center of attention and be able to blame someone else. Um, And the shows can be exciting. But what they do is they create a visual of hypnosis and hypnotherapy of something that it isn't. Mm -hmm. So when I see hypnotherapy, when I'm doing it in a therapy process, this is much more like a guided meditation. It's much more like a therapy session. So, you know, people say, I couldn't be hypnotized. The reality is you're in that state frequently. So it's it's the state when you're driving down a highway and you you miss a few junctions. You've driven well, but you've been so you've sort of switched off. It's that automatic state that you're looking to reach. And um, it's basically a form of meditation. So anyone who can meditate can get into that state. And then the hypnotherapist isn't telling them what to do. They're guiding them through their own memories to get a different understanding of how they can frame the world. And it's just allowing them to create a new program, adjust programs that were created typically when you're a child to keep you safe so that you can then live more efficiently moving forward. Tell me about that guiding process. How do you get, and maybe use your personal example, how did this practitioner really get to the core of what was important or or impactful to you? So what you do is you start off with the physical sensation. So, I mean, if if we do sort of a make-believe session with you right now, um, it's what is the physical sensation? What was it like when someone said, uh, Michael, you're going to be speaking next week? So a so much tension in my chest, in my right. solar plexus especially. So so effectively, you're going to be in this very relaxed meditative state, and we're going to start building up that pressure in your chest. So I want you to really dig in, really think about that sensation, really focus on it. And now I want you to connect back to another time in your life you felt that same sensation. Five, four, three, two, one. What's the next time? What's the next time? And you go back through the memories. And because your subconscious is creating the sensation, it knows why it's creating the sensation. Whoa. Because otherwise you wouldn't feel that way. So it's only a defense mechanism. And this is why I'm saying someone with an extreme phobia will get to the root cause faster because it's so obvious to the subconscious why it's there. And 
it's the subtle work that's actually more difficult, more technical. So I, I work with a lot of high performers and they're already top 10 in the world and they want to be number one. And we're working on this really subtle stuff to make them slightly better. That's actually more difficult than someone who has a paralyzing fear of heights. Because the person with the paralyzing fear of heights, their subconscious knows why it's there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense as a, as a framework for this? It absolutely does. Can you t- tell me a little bit more about some of the things that you're helping some of these high performers with if it's not, you know, something enormous? Um, so, so typically what it will be is a level of self-sabotage that they're noticing, even though they're already a high performer. So it may be a professional athlete who's refusing to take their rest days. Maybe someone who in moments of high pressure will allow themselves to reach top 10, but won't allow themselves to become number one. And there can be all sorts of issues that, that show up with these types of things you know, in business as well. That, so a lot of people, they make the same amount of money every year. Their business doesn't grow. And oftentimes it's stuck around a fixed figure like 500,000, a million dollars, $2 million. But very frequently it's round numbers that they find themselves hitting exactly the same each time. And there's something stopping growing past that. Hmm. And they know it's not rational. So they're seeing a theme, a repeating pattern somewhere. And logically it shouldn't be the case. So they come to me and they say, hey, you know, for the last five years I've made a million dollars. My company should be growing but I always manage to bring myself to this number. So we'll start looking at it. And, you know, oftentimes they'll start bringing up conversations they had with their parents where they were told rich people are bad or you don't need too much money or you don't want too much attention. If you have too much money and too much attention, it's dangerous. People will try and steal from you. So these sorts of frameworks that we're taught as a child, these conversations get taken on as truth. So we'll go into those conversations and typically the parent who's telling a child, you know, um, you know, the wealthy, you know, the wealthy parents that they're, they're bad, they're teaching their children to be guilty, etc. Um, the reality is the parent was just feeling bad about the fact they couldn't provide for their family in the same way. So what was an ego protection of the parent actually becomes a cap for the client. That's so fascinating. Yeah. And I just see it repeated over and over again in these different areas of life. Yeah. I've heard you say somewhere that you can trace almost all of these, if not all of these self-limiting beliefs to the person either being bullied by a peer or a parent in their past. Can you explain that and just talk about why that is? It's not all of them. It's it's a good percentage of issues will present with that as a problem. So what it is, is typically the, the child is living their life and being bullied or, or berated by a parent or by another child feels like a life and death situation for the child. So I don't know if you were bullied as a kid or people listening to this, you know, some percentage definitely were. Mm-hmm. If you think about what it felt like in your body at seven years old when another kid threatened you or when all of the kids in the class were calling you fat or whatever it was, it, it didn't feel like, a, like something you could just forget. It felt like it was life or death because of the level of emotion in those moments or a a parent saying that they love your sibling more. You know, some parents say that that moment can be incredibly upsetting and scary for the child. And in a lot of cases, it's the parent having a bad day or it's 
you know, the kid's being bullied by his older brother and he's taking it out on the other kids in his class. Or, but the client had framed it as a life and death situation for them that they had to adjust their behavior because of. And a lot of the time people fade into the background. They don't like being the center of attention. They don't want to make themselves a target. And in a world right now where attention is so valuable, that can really hold your career back. Because if you're a professional athlete and you know that being number one in the world means you're going to be in lots of newspapers, that might be a good reason to always be number five. Yeah. Um, you know, social media, we all know people in, you know, our sorts of industries who really shy away from social media um, because they don't want the criticism. And a lot of the time that that's rooted back into things that happened in childhood that made criticism feel incredibly scary. So we go back, we reframe those memories and see that, you know, this wasn't about you. It wasn't really life and death. It was just misaccepted, I guess, by the subconscious at that age. And by reframing it and letting go of the emotion, the trigger is then removed. So you're taking people back and the, the guiding light is just looking for other times you felt that same tension in that same place. Can you explain the reframing a little bit more? Like once you find the earliest memory possible with that same feeling in that place, what do you do? Okay, so um, let's say I'm eight years old and I'm standing up in class and my teacher's telling me I'm stupid, I'm never going to amount to anything. Um, so that, that one comes up a lot. So that's that that person may have then felt like they're never going to be successful in life. They may have held themselves back. They may have had confident issues because someone in a position of authority and power has prescribed them a label as a failure or stupid. So we'll have the client look at it from the outside. So you're looking in at what happened and you say, so what do you see? I see an eight-year-old boy standing there and a 50-year-old teacher berating them. Okay. So first off, I want you to give the child a hug, tell him he's okay, that this doesn't matter. So that you typically releases emotion and oftentimes people cry at that point. And I want you to explain the situation. How do you see it now through your adult eyes? And they'll usually see it as a stressed out teacher not doing their job appropriately. So something that was held by the child as this is my fault and this is who I am starts to be seen as Mrs. Smith wasn't very good at her job. Mm -hmm. So it starts to change the weighting, the way it's viewed. And then we'll say, replay the memory again. How does it look now? And then you change the memory, remove the color, remove the emotions, forgive the teacher for having a bad day. And typically the forgiveness is a big part of it. Forgive yourself for being naughty that day and forgive the teacher for having a bad day as well. This is something you can let go of now. And as you keep replaying the memory, memories are plastic, they actually start to change. They're malleable. Mm -hmm. So that memory is now different to how it was stored before. And because the memory is different, there's no longer the trigger there to fire when these situations come up. You fix the bug in the code. Exactly. Um, and that's how that process works. And it, it doesn't matter the situation. It's, it's typically all around showing love, showing them they survived it because if they're in a session, they clearly did survive it. You know, it wasn't, they didn't die. Right, right. Um, and then forgiveness um, to the other participants because no one's perfect in life and everyone makes mistakes. And as you start rounding all of these edges, the triggers stop firing. And when the triggers stop firing, the irrational behavior that's holding you back stops. So the inner child feels safe, feels loved, feels accepted, and then the adult consciousness can run the show. Exactly. And that subconscious is no longer saying, this is life and death. We might end up 
you know, in a dangerous situation, we need mm-hmm. to shut down. Instead, that trigger's just stopped. So I've done quite a bit of personal development and growth work in my life and therapy. And so this inner child concept has come up quite a bit. Mm. And I've spent literally days on ends trying to recall early childhood memories, largely around my addiction when I was a teenager and trying to really get at the root of what caused that. Mm. And if I sit for long enough, I can I can recall some things, but compared to a lot of other people's experiences, I often, it's, I don't remember a lot. Um, and I've also come across a lot of people that have that, that same experience. What is it about hypnosis that allows you to get at that for, for lack of a better term to, to really recall that stuff? Okay. So, so first off, you're, you're in a very focused state. So the, the way of describing it is rather than just actual relaxation, it's actually a, a state of intense focus. So, so that's the state that we're creating in the first instance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's intense focus rather than nothing. So instead of a um, let's say with mindfulness meditation, you get to that very relaxed state, and then you're looking to clear your mind of any thoughts that come in. Instead, you're focusing intently on the emotion you're trying to resolve. Mm. And the way that the reason it's bringing the things up so clearly for people and bringing up repressed memories, etc., is because we're amplifying the emotion. And if the emotion is there to be amplified, the subconscious always knows why it's generating it. So it doesn't mean you can find any memory from your childhood. But what it means is if there's a memory that's creating a physical sensation now, that one can be found. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the subconscious wouldn't know to trigger that sensation. So it's not that it's any memory, it's that it's those trigger memories that are that are creating the the issue. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like a it's just like a beacon. Exactly. That emotion is like a beacon to be able to retrace our steps through our own consciousness. Because if there if there wasn't a memory creating it, it's my belief that the physical sensation wouldn't exist. That's cool. Yeah, That's really cool, man. I mean, it changed the direction of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, you do this first one. Yeah. I would imagine you go on to use this tool in every little nook and cranny in your life. What, what, what was your personal experience from there on out? Well, what I found was that, you know, I started working as a hypnotherapist. And um, early on, I, I noticed that I, I would start feeling some of the issues that my clients would have. You know, I would have someone who had insomnia issues and I'd struggle to get to sleep. I'd have someone who's scared of heights. Yeah, it was really strange. So I started using a hypnotherapist every two weeks. I've done that for about eight years now, just working on everything so that when things came up in sessions, I had cleared my own issues and just made sure that I sort of have a, a clean slate. And that's a process that I continue with now. I just see it as a constant, you know, self-work there isn't really an end point to any personal development work in my mind. So yes, it's great to get the fear of flying down from a 10 to a three, but if I can get it to a 2.7, I can get it to a 2.5, I can get it to a 2.1. I'll continue to do that work. So I've worked on lots of things. I've confidence. I remember some of my earliest sessions, I used to talk about the fact I wouldn't want to go on podcasts um, because of the potential attention, mm. um, you know, working through those sorts of issues. Um, so I've, I've 
dealt with a lot of stuff you can imagine every two weeks for eight years there's been a lot of sessions <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i can picture myself doing it for the next you know until i finish my career maybe beyond um i'll continue working on myself in that same way but really the way i'd, I'd like to describe it that i think is a useful visual is i sort of see us as cubes where really we're a ball but then we've got all this stuff stuck to us in terms of memories and issues and ego and each time we work on ourselves we're just sort of shaving it off a little bit and making a bit more rounded and the more that you work on yourself the smoother life goes because you've got less of those edges and Mm -hmm. you know it's the first few sessions that are really important because you can start rolling but then if you keep working on yourself and keep trying to improve and keeps trying to smooth those edges then life just flows and that's how i found the experience you know over over these years well, I'm sure you don't need to hear it from me, but I'm glad you worked through the podcasting thing because you're a crystal clear, <laughs> crystal clear communicator, man. You're excellent Thanks. on this type of show, man. Well, thank excellent. you. Excellent. Um, yeah. So it was nice getting that one out of the way. It was good for yeah. my career for sure. That's awesome. I totally agree on a personal level of, around personal development as well. I think that there's an optimization piece, like we can always be improving. And then there's just the maintenance of our psyche and our mind. There's, I think in the East, they would call it karma. Like we're just going through our day and we're accumulating all of these tensions and stresses and, you know, the grief and chaos of the world. We got some shit to deal with in our heads all the time. Mm. And there is, there seems to be no risk to me whatsoever in having mentors and having outside help, ideally professionals, to help us navigate our internal space. Oh, completely. And I think an important way of viewing it is seeing it more like your physical health and fitness rather than so when you think of somebody who's helping you as a mindset coach or performance coach or therapist or counselor. I think they should be viewed as like a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. So you don't say when to your, to your personal trainer, hey, when am, I, when am I done? When don't I need to exercise anymore? You, you're going to continue working with someone on your physical health because if you don't, it can potentially start to degrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same with these this sort of work as well. You know, It's not like, hey, I've got a bad elbow, let's fix the bad elbow. It's how do I stay in the best mindset I can for my life because it's so incredibly profitable, um, both financially, but also just happiness wise mm-hmm. to be in a place where you're not being triggered, where your anxiety is low, where you can be optimistic, where you can see opportunities, where you can run good relationships. And as I say, I think that that can be an issue with, with some ways that people view this type of work is that, oh yeah, I did some counseling eight years ago. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that's typically the, the best way to be viewing this, but I'm exceptionally biased because this is the industry I work in and it's also what I do for myself. I think that language that you used is really helpful. It's like mental or emotional fitness. Mm. And when we think of things as fitness, it's, obvious that there is no end goal. Well, maybe not obvious, but I think for many of my listeners, it's obvious because it's more of a lifestyle choice. Hmm. I really love that. Yeah. And and as I say, I don't think it's discussed in quite the same way when it comes to the mindset type work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's still a lot of people selling the quick fix. And, you know, I was fortunate, the fear of flying situation. Yes, it was cured in one hour. Um, That is rare, but it does happen. But 
just working on my fear of flying wasn't really the important part. All of the other confidence and things like that that I've worked on relationship stuff um, over the years has been incredibly valuable to me. And I see myself as a work in progress. I want to be uncomfortable listening to this interview in five years mm -hmm. because I'm embarrassed by how bad I am. You know, and, and in 10 years, that one, I, you know, I want to look back and, and feel and see some change because if I don't, um, then I've stopped progressing. I want to talk about your work with poker players a little bit, because mm. I think you kind of cut your teeth with some of the highest level poker players in the world. I don't think I have many poker player listeners, maybe some amateurs, mm. but I just find that world fascinating. Yeah. What are some of the specific things that hold top poker players back and i know next to nothing about poker so speak okay. to me like i'm up so with um so yeah I, I got really lucky with the poker world i i moved into it early um as a mindset coach and had a lot of success and the reason being with poker effectively you you have a strategy that you're looking to play but oftentimes players will deviate from that strategy when they're under stress so the cards start going against them. They start taking bigger risks to try and win the bunny back faster. And that's called going on tilt. So you start making bad plays because you're in a stressful, difficult environment. So the work that I was doing with the players was so that they could control their emotions. And if they were able to maintain their strategy longer than their opponents, they'd have a significant financial edge over their opponents. Other issues that show up as sort of a fear of being on TV. I've worked with a number of clients who the final tables are always televised and they'd find themselves sabotaging before they got to a final table of a tournament because they were worried about people seeing them play poorly on television and what wow. that might do to their reputation. Um, and then there's procrastination issues, study issues, health and fitness issues, focus issues. You know, sometimes the games are incredibly long, but it, it's gone extraordinarily well. So I've had clients win pretty much every major tournament in poker. Over $100 million have been won now. You know, the main event, I work with some of the biggest cash game players in the world. And effectively, it's because they see a value in being able to maintain emotional control longer than their opponents can. And it's really obvious in poker, but then that translates into the other work I do with stockbrokers and crypto traders, because again, it's the same situation. How you've got a game plan mm -hmm. when you're trading stocks, but oftentimes if the world starts to move against you, you start placing bigger bets to get your money back faster <laughs> to prove yep. yourself right. And again, I'm helping people understand and work through their ego issues around this so they can maintain their strategy through high-stress situations. Um, and then taking that even further, if we go into sports, you know, a, a visualization, let's say, with UFC fighter um, won't necessarily be about an optimistic visualization where they go into the cage and knock their opponent out with one punch. It will be visualizations around, okay, you're on the bottom. He has you mounted. How do you deal with this situation that things aren't going well for you? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with the high pressure moment when you can just lose if you lose your focus? How do you stay calm when someone's trying to choke you and they have the dominant position? So it's all about teaching calm, like a calm thought process through worst case scenarios leading to victory. And, and that's what I've seen being very successful through my years um, in hypnotherapy with people in different areas. So much of high performance seems to be simply 
getting our minds out of the way in the crucial moment so that we can perform at our best. It's not like it's not adding this extra level to our capabilities. It's allowing us to perform at our capabilities. Exactly. And I mean, certainly with with the fighting, there is a dramatic difference to how fighters perform in the gym and how they perform in the cage. Um, you, you notice it if you talk to people in that profession, there are there are many, many beast fighters in the gym and they go to the cage and they crack and, and they their potential is nothing like the same. And again, it's like that with any sport. If you can go to your, you know, your, your sort of your automatic, you can get into your flow state, you'll allow yourself to perform to your full trained potential. If you're getting anxious, if you're getting nervous, if you're in a situation where you're overthinking, more often than not, your body won't respond in quite the same way. You'll burn a lot more energy, you'll get tired faster, and you won't be in a position to be able to put in the best performance. One of the my favorite things that I've heard you say is this analogy around gambling. You're trying to teach people to be the casino and not the gambler. Can yeah. you talk to, a, talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, so in professional poker, effectively, one, you know, the, the casino isn't taking that they're, they're taking a fee for dealing the table. Whereas in other games, the casino is running roulette and you're playing against the casino. In poker, you're playing against the other opponents. It's very important that a professional sees themselves as the as the casino in that in that position. And what they're doing is they're playing a strategy in the same way that the casino, you know, they don't hit on 19 in blackjack. The poker player has to follow their own rules, their own system, repeatedly over and over again, allowing the other players to gamble with them and not worrying if they win or lose over a day because a gambler will look at winning or losing in a hand or winning or losing in a day as success or failure. But a professional poker player should be looking at profits made over a quarter or over a year mm -hmm. by putting themselves in the highest EV, which is expected value situations over and over again. So just like a casino, they don't care if you hit your number in, black, in roulette because they know they're still making money over the year. Um, and if you can put your, if you can create the mental space where you sit down and you're seeing yourself as the casino and just allowing yourself to make the best mathematical decision over and over again, you'll effectively print money over the years. So, so that's what I mean when I describe that. So just because you lost doesn't mean that your game plan was poor or that you made poor decisions, especially in poker and, and, and trading as well. Trading can be very similar. What other areas of life do you think this principle applies to? I, I think it applies to to anything in business. Um, so your only job, and, and what I try and teach people in my courses, is um, to refine processes. So there's no real reason to set, you know, I'm a success if I make X amount of money or this project does Y. The only thing that's really relevant is um, applying a process testing the process and then iterating it and, and and really that's what's happening you know with the poker players in that gambling situation is they're applying their strategy they find out if that strategy works over time and if it's not working they adjust the strategy and then they continue with a new strategy mm -hmm. and i feel that you know entrepreneurs we we need to be doing exactly the same thing so we apply a strategy to our business we test it over time we iterate and we move forward but there's going to be variance you know, the world can change overnight. That doesn't mean we did something wrong. 
It just means the world changes and we have to adjust to the change. And typically the best way of adjusting isn't over adjusting and taking huge gambles. It's subtle adjustments and subtle iterations until we find something that works for us and, and the business we're trying to trying to build. All right, man. I'm sold. I want to try it out. <laughs> how can how can I and the listener try this stuff out? How can we do this on our own if we want? It's very difficult to do on your own. Um, so the reason for that is we have blind spots. So you can you can do the process that I described to you. So as we went through that exercise, you can think about what that sensation is inside. You can then trace that back to memories and you can try and adjust those memories. And you can make decent progress doing that. And I'd recommend listeners you know, try that process, especially if you have a big fear or phobia. Um, try doing it on your own. But be aware, we typically hide the things we don't want to change from ourselves. And it takes a third party to guide us through that. And that's, you know, that's why I have a job and that's why people are in this industry because, and I think one of the better ways of describing this is when your friend asks you for relationship advice, most of the time, you know exactly what to tell your friend because you can look in and you can say, well, you know, this is so clear to me, uh, your friend can't see what they should do because they're blinded by whatever it might be, things from their past, things from other relationships. All of us are the same. I have blind spots and I have a coach and hypnotherapist because I can't do that work for myself. And, you know, I'm, you know, someone who's very experienced in this industry. So it's worth giving a try to, but I would say working with a professional, if any of this sounds interesting to you, is typically a much more effective approach. Tell me about your app and some of the recordings that you've got on there. So I have an app called Primed Mind. Uh, you can download it for free on iTunes or Google Play. Um, and it has about 40 of the recordings for free. And then there's an upgrade where there's around 300 recordings. And it's hypnotherapy sessions around things like public speaking, anxiety issues, confidence issues, getting to sleep at night, preparing yourself for the day, for competitions, for exercise. And it's suggestion hypnotherapy. So what I've been describing is regression hypnotherapy, where we're looking to go into the past you know, adjust the memories. I can't do that through the app, unfortunately, because obviously it's just me talking. You can't talk mm -hmm. back. So with the app, it's suggestion hypnotherapy. So it's like visualizations that create that state on that day. So with your issue before you were describing with public speaking, you would listen to the public speaking audio 15 minutes before you went on stage mm -hmm. and it would amp you up and it would reduce the anxiety and make you feel much better about it. Before you get on the stage next time, you'd need to do the same thing again. It's not going to resolve the root cause, but it's going to give you that Band-Aid and that boost you need in that moment. Um, and that's what the app for is. It's to prepare you on the day. Got it. And then the only thing I will say is obviously if you start getting prepared on the day for those things, typically you have better experiences. So if you start performing better with the public speaking, obviously the fear of it reduces mm -hmm. as you have better performances, and then that will change over time. But I don't, you know, but I, I want to be clear, this doesn't do regression to root cause, as I've been describing. This is about boosting you so you can perform better on, on that day in that moment. Got it. That sounds awesome, man. Oh, thanks. And that's called the Primed Mind. Primed Mind app, yeah. Lastly, have you... Are you a, an Adam Sandler fan? Uh, not desperately, no. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan. And when I was probably 
10 to 13, he came out with this album and he's just singing these comedic songs. Mm. And he has this one, this is more of a skit, but it's a, it's a skit of a hypnotist that just keeps farting the entire session. It is hilarious, man. So as I was preparing to, to interview you, I just had this visual come up of this like farting hypnotist. <laughs> maybe, maybe you add that to your app. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. New, new, new section. Well, brother, this was such a pleasure. I feel like I learned so much and I have a lot of um, a lot of work that I can do. This is great. Hey, Thank man. you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you having me on and you know to share my message. Um, yeah, hope hope it helped. And where can people find out everything else that you're working with or if they're interested in working with you, where can they find you? Um, the best place to go is elliotrow.com and then there's an application form on there. Um, not everyone's going to be the right fit for me as a client, but I have a team of coaches I've trained. Um, so if you fill out an application on the website, we can find the right coach for you and make sure, yeah, we can find someone who can help you the best way. And that's elliotrow.com. And row is R-O-E. Yeah. That'll be in the show notes. All right, Elliot, you have a great day, man. Thank you very much.